Hello and welcome to another episode of The Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Bellotti, and today we're going to talk all about balancing your bets and experiments portfolio. This was a fantastic conversation. We had it on Clubhouse. We're going to go ahead and hop right in. We have Morgan Brown, who is the VP of Growth at Shopify. We have Thibaut Imbert, who is the VP of Growth at GitHub. And we have Hila Chu, who is the uh, VP of Growth at GitLab. They all shared some fantastic advice about how to think about your portfolio of experiments and big bets and moonshots, how to approach it if your team is getting a little bit out of whack, and tons of other stuff. This was a great conversation. There are so many other great ones in this podcast. So if you like this one, hit that subscribe button, check out the other episodes, and would always really appreciate a review on the podcast app. So without further ado, let's go ahead and jump in. I would love to just start by hearing how each of you philosophically approach balancing big bets and experiments. I'm really interested to hear if you all think about it the same way or you have slightly different approaches to what a good balance looks like. So whoever's brave enough, feel free to unmute and start the conversation. I can share. I think it's the easiest one to start first. I think in general, I felt like for a, a very new growth team, I would advise to really focus on the quick wins on the uh, smaller experiments. And I think the bigger bets really comes into play when the team is more mature and you begin to hit some local maxima in, in areas. So I think the, the team maturity, team size play a very big role. That's my general kind of uh, perspective on this one. Yeah, I can jump in next. So I think about growth, much like I think about investing, where I have um, a finite amount of resources and I want to invest them in a way to maximize return, right? And so much like you might think about saving for retirement or, or growing you know, your kind of net worth, it's very similar to how I think about growth. And so I think there's lots of inputs into that decision-making process into like how you construct that portfolio. So as Hila said, one of the key inputs is like the stage of your team or company or the maturity of any any of your given channels. But I think ultimately, if you kind of come at it from, at least for me, come at it from a portfolio perspective, then you can figure out how that portfolio should be balanced or distributed. And we can kind of dive into that. But my mental model is is uh, definitely a portfolio. How about you, Tibo? Yeah, I mean, I like the uh, the idea of a portfolio. I think I think I think of it the same way. One thing I've, I've made a mistake in uh, at Adobe at some point in my adventure as a growth practitioner is to not have a diverse enough portfolio and having just big moonshots. And so the risk that you make is that if these moonshots uh, fail, which is very likely because we know that in growth, a lot of things necessarily don't pan out in terms of the number to, the, to in terms of the impact on the, the business could be learnings, definitely been learnings. But the mistake I made is to, bet too heavily on these moonshots and not have, you know, kind of like a fallback plan. And and so now I actually ask my team to diversify their portfolio. I actually use that analogy uh, often and, and ask them to really think about, you know, and I've said that many times in this show about, you know, while you're kind of like cooking the big thing, you want to have appetizers for the executives. What I've learned is that executives want to see, velocity and and high you know tempo and 
even if these are not necessarily the big needle movers in the business, at least you show that your your team is actually executing and moving fast. And that's really, really important. So now I really tell them, okay, you've got this thing. Think about your portfolio. You need to have at least two or three, you know, simple, like what I call JDIs or quickies on the side while you're actually working on big things that make, you know, might take one or two quarters. So I, I have to be honest, I, I, I'm actually still learning in the process of diversification is like, what's the percentage distribution of this and that. But what I've learned from mistakes is definitely have a fallback plan for the things that are going to fail so that you can actually still demonstrate velocity and actually results. Yeah, I love this portfolio type approach. You, you know, the the whole investing thought and, you know, getting that velocity early on, as Hilo was saying, get the quick wins. And, you know, Thibaut, you're saying you got to make sure that the velocity is clear. And, you know, in the, in the frame of the portfolio approach, when you look at your growth teams, I, I'd love to hear anybody's thoughts on this. When you look at your growth teams and you think about that portfolio, how do you approach it as the scale of the teams change? So, you know, you have one single team. Are you expecting them to have a diverse portfolio amongst themselves versus if you have five teams, are you playing the the fund manager? Are you picking out like this team is going to do moonshots or this team, or do you expect all the teams to sort of have that diversity amongst themselves? I would love to hear how the scale of teams and growth organization size plays into the, that sort of balance. I can, I can take a stab at that. One thing that I'll say is that at the beginning of a team, I'd say in the first six months to a year, the team is still proving itself in the company. Let's, let's assume you're starting a growth team. Execs are curious about the discipline. Uh, marketing organization is basically saying maybe these guys are doing what we're doing. Uh, <laughs> what is this team doing? There's, you know, kind of like some perception or maybe some uh, some skepticism about, about the team. And, and even if there's no skepticism, just you're on trial, basically. And so you, you need to, at least from my perspective, you need to really get your stuff together in terms of operations, cadence, tempo, ideation. And executing. So I'd say for the first six to 12 months, you definitely need to have, you know, I'd say, honestly, a healthy, you know, I'd say maybe 60, 40, 60 being, you know, kind of like high tempo things that will be small, will take a few weeks to execute on and get results. And just, you know, really kind of like being really consistent and executing. And, and as you get the trust, let's say after 12 months, you have delivered some some substantial results. You you've demonstrated that your team is operating uh, quickly. You you have your stuff together in terms of you know cadence and tempo. Then you can start tackling you know bigger things and actually afford. Just like you know taking Morgan's analogy with the portfolio, you can't you can't afford to basically lose lose you know in some way money by saying hey yeah we invested a quarter on this but. Um, so I'd say, you know, six to 12 months, you, you really want to be executing. Then later you can take on more complex things and afford to actually, you know, lose more. And, and that's totally fine because you're still learning. And then I'd say, you know, when it comes to the topic and what the team's doing, I think it's very important that even though no matter what the team is doing, whether it's quickies or, or, or big moonshots, you need to set the sandbox in terms of where the team is going to play. And so what I do with my team for a year, well, basically for the year, we're saying, okay, 
and sometimes it's top down. Okay, this is what we need to grow. So this is where we're going to play. We know that these are big things we, we need to we need to tackle. Then I I let my team pick simple small things sometimes that they want to just you know they they've worked like a quarter on something super complex and it's great and it, you know keeps going they're going to launch it and then the team is like wow that was that was a lot I need something you know simple and small to just go fast and refresh and kind of like you know they need that and so I let my team pick that but I think it's super important that you let the team you know pick what they want to work on, but within the sandbox of what the strategy should be. Because at the end, you you want to make sure that if they pick something that's small, at least it's related to the bigger, to the bigger picture, but not completely off topic, because then that becomes quite dangerous. Yeah, maybe to maybe to pick up on on what Thibaut was saying, I think it really depends on kind of where you're where you're at in your stage as a company and kind of the trajectory of like your given growth channels, kind of like your investment strategy for retirement differs how close you are to retirement or not. Like if you're younger and you're far away from retirement, you might want to try to have, you know, bigger swings and more aggressive investments uh, to really maximize the return on your capital. Whereas if you're older and you're kind of like gearing up for retirement, you probably want to minimize the risk of ruin. And so you get a little bit more conservative uh, with like the return of your capital versus return on capital. So I think, you know, one of the main tenants for for me uh, that Peter Thiel said in zero to one is that most companies do not have a huge distribution of acquisition channels or distribution channels, right? It's not like you probably have like 15 different ways that you grow. You probably have a few key ways that you grow. And so, or you might have one primary way that you grow. And so kind of in the portfolio approach, the way that I think about it is depending on where you're at, like if you think of a your distribution in a channel as kind of a S-curve, right? So take SEO, it takes a little bit of momentum. It takes a while to get the momentum rolling in that channel, right? And you have to make a bunch of investments in SEO before you start to rank, before you know Google starts to recognize you, before traffic starts to come through, and before you can really kind of start to accelerate that channel. And so early on, you really have to kind of lean in and you want to put as much wood behind as few arrows as possible to really kind of get that ball rolling. But there might be points in a channel strategy or, you know, like say in paid media where you're like, oh, you know, for the set of keywords or for the business metrics that I care about, I've, I've kind of reached a local maxima of uh, the business performance I can drive out of it. And those are two very different or like three very different points uh, kind of on that trajectory that kind of require a different thought process about your portfolio. So I think for me, early on, when you're trying to get a channel established, you really want to have a strong hypothesis about why that channel matters. And you want to do everything you can to, to kind of make it work. And within the do everything you can, you can have a bunch of incremental experimental stuff and you can have some some bigger bets along the way. So take take SEO, for example. You might have a content strategy to generate, you know, uh, blog pages or content around given sets of keywords that your audience cares about. And that's something that you can like iterate on, kind of like just like really do. You might have a larger strategy within SEO that's more of a big bet around the generation of, you know, thousands 
of SEO pages, like so you can take a look at like a Zapier, for example, and that's kind of like a big bet within that channel. So when I think about portfolio, it's not necessarily portfolio of different channels, but it's the types of work within the realm of growth that have like different time horizons and different opportunity sizes, and then balancing that based on the stage you're at for a given distribution model or different kind of growth uh, period in your your growth trajectory. Yeah, I, I think that's exactly kind of a great description of the portfolio view. And I also think there are different types of big bets or or at least different there is if you think think it as a like a spectrum it is a spectrum right on the like the one end of the spectrum you have all those very small iterations uh, test optimizations and then on the other end of spectrum that's like a totally a, you you launch a new product or you, you build a new feature you go to a new international market i think there is it's always a spectrum and in terms of big bets, I feel like there may be two different type of big bets in that spectrum. One, think of, one kind of big bets I experience myself is sometimes you do a lot of smaller experiments and you accumulate enough learning. You begin to think about this product area or, or this channel holistically, and you want to completely redesign. As an example, um, when I was running the growth team at Acorns, we initially did like, a, I would say almost a hundred experiments in registration and onboarding flow because it's so critical where our app and everything happens very quickly. So there is a lot of opportunity and any improvement there is significant to our business in, in CAC, in ROI, in all of that. So we did a lot of that. Those are all relatively small. But we begin to accumulate a lot, a lot of insights in terms of which flow works better, which kind of language can resonate with our users, which features they like to use first. And we end up doing a more kind of complete redesign of the flow. So it is a bigger bet, not the biggest bet, but it's kind of informed by all the learnings you accumulated. And it's actually a great way when you begin to see that simple copy change or simple asset change in one place uh, is showing like a local maximum. And you use this type of way, redesign kind of bigger change, thinking holistically um, to push through that. So that's one, like not the biggest, but kind of, a, I, I would say maybe, maybe medium to big size bet. Then there is the other kind, which is changes that are much more uh, permanent and it requires large efforts, sometimes cross-functional teamwork, and it's hard to reverse. Like if you want to um, do a pricing change, right? If you want to, uh, at Acorns, for example, we, we build out acquisition channel or funnel for a new product, or we, we test out a brand new channel. We know we have to invest there. We don't know how it will work, but we know that's the area we have to test out and invest in, like, for example, TikTok. So those things are are large, are big bets. Sometimes you know you have to do it. It's almost like a strategic investment. You don't know how it will work, but strategically it's the right thing to do. So those are the other type of big bets. I think for those, it's important to, like Morgan mentioned, you can use smaller experiments. You can use research data to 
de-risk this type of bigger bets as much as possible because like you, you can do some user research on pricing, understand how they would respond to it to inform your kind of final rollout rather than just treat this as any other experiment, throw it out there and see how people will respond to it that usually don't end up well. So I think this is two, at least two kind of bigger bets I experienced myself. Yeah, I think there's two important points that I want to like double click on with with that heel, which I I totally agree. One one is like when you're going to experiment with like a, a big bet, you have to know what your goal is for the bet, right? Like, is it a learning goal? Is it a top line goal? Like, what you know, being really clear about what you're trying to figure out with that bet is is super important. Um, and what success looks like kind of along the way, because typically these bigger bets take longer periods of time to pay off. And one of the other things that I think is really important with big bets um, and kind of the the goaling part of it is really the goal of, of any big bet is to try to get to a definitive answer, right? Like one of the mistakes that I see with teams taking big bets is that one, they don't have very crisp success criteria defined. And then B, they don't design the test in a way that they can get definitive information. So to heal this point about some stuff is like non-reversible. Yeah. So you, you want to get like as much confidence in that as possible. And so you want to design your test in a way where the outcome on that bet is like you can make a definitive call, whether it's worth it to uh, proceed or it's worth it to kill it. And I think... You want to set up both the team and the project in a way that the team knows like the clear goals are and that like like killing a big bet is actually success as well. You know, not at, like there are bets. They're called bets for a reason, right? And so what you don't want is uh, because it's such a long time horizon to pay off, you don't want to compound that or make that worse by ambiguity, Right. So if you build something for like six months, you launch it and then everyone looks around the room and kind of shrugs and doesn't know what to do next. That's like a failure state for me. What I want is if we're going to invest for six months or a year or whatever, that we have a plan that one allows us to build confidence in our bet over time and then two make a definitive call on it um, with an appropriate sized uh, test that can help us like be very confident in our decision. Do you think there are any scenarios where you would say to one of your growth teams, hey, I need you to only work on big bets? Like, are, are do those teams, big bet only teams or incremental only teams exist in your portfolios of teams? Or is it what something Hilo was saying earlier is that, you know, the small incremental stuff adds up to learnings that inform big bets, do you think it's important for all of the teams to be doing both at any given time? I, you know, one thing that I, 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 like I said in the past, I think I'm trying this to happen naturally with the team as we set goals. So like I, like I said, for my team right now, we're working like a sales team. We have a, a dollar revenue for the end of the year, a net new ARR revenue goal that we have for, uh, for self-serve. And so I'm teaching my team how to evaluate experiment size uh, using modeling. And one of the things we're working with this data science team is 
when you think about an experiment, you need to be able ahead of time before you're going to run, how much money do you think this experiment is worth following or going after in some ways? So when I started in growth, I was like, okay, well, this experiment, let me look at, you know, do I think it's great? Yeah, it's great. I think the community, a lot of people in the industry have used it. I think it's going to be doing uh, an incremental, you know, movement in activation or whatever. Okay. Then three years later, I was like, okay, does this have enough volume? Okay. Yeah. It has like hundred thousand people. Yeah. I think it's better than 20,000. Okay, great. We should go after that. Now I'm at a point where I'm like, okay, how many millions of dollars or how many hundred thousands of dollars is this experiment? And so my team, they have in their sheet, they're tracking and I'm like, okay, so how many, how much do you have in your pipeline? And so they can see from the magnitude of their experiment and the volume and where they're playing, the magnitude of impact. If they have in a quarter $100,000 and someone has $2 million, well, you can actually start to look at, okay, well, what is going on with your experiments? And what happens is probably um, what we call these moonshots of these big bets are going to be things where you're going to be, you know, you're going to try to go after a bigger swing in, in, the, in the metrics and in the business. So the answer to your question is I'm trying to equip the team with the right tools to do sizing and modeling so that they can actually understand based on their on their on their sheet what their portfolio looks like. Are you is it like a two, three million dollar ARR quarter or is it a hundred K? And often uh, the, the small the JDIs or the, the small the small experiments are, you know, uh, you know, a few a few thousands, hundreds of Ks and not millions. And therefore, then they realize, okay, like I don't have enough. I need to have something substantial. I have a lot of small things, but I need to uh, I need to focus on something bigger. So that's that's the answer to your question, Matt. I think uh, I'm trying to equip the team so that they can realize that based on their own assessment of what they have in their portfolio. Yeah, and I, I want to add to that. I think uh, Thibault mentioned that he he was kind of very aggressive when he was at Adobe. And I think sometimes I, I find myself more focused on optimizations. I think there is a personality of the growth uh, PMs or growth practitioners as well. So um, maybe one inspiration I draw from today is you want to uh, have a portfolio of different personality in your growth teams so that some are uh, the kind of the, the aggressive investors, traders, and some are more uh, fixed income uh investors, which that naturally can bring some diversity into your portfolio. But to answer your question, I think I typically don't, I don't set, like, like work on a roadmap for my teams, but I do challenge them when they think about their KPIs and OKRs, right? If you think you can move this metric by 5%, I will ask why 5%? Can that be higher? And when you kind of challenge that when you set the goal higher, usually people tend to think outside of the box and think about, oh, if if like this five small experiments cannot do it, what else I can do? What are some bigger levers I'm missing here that can drive bigger impact? I think that's one way. The other way is I think constantly make sure your team is uh, is learning and they are share learning and they they learn from 
I kind of often invite invite uh, external experts, speakers to share their experience at at my company, and we we share learnings with each other. We have a lot of uh, conversation with cross functional collaborators. I think those learnings and all those great ideas will become a natural source for for people to begin to think outside their immediate focus area, and I that potentially find bigger ones. I think that's that's the other way. I'm curious to hear Morgan though like do you have a structured way to find big bigger bets or or Tibu or Matt anyone has any experience with that? Yeah, I think in terms of the team structure at Facebook and at Shopify like there are definitive teams that are designed to work on big bets and you know, so I think it's like, you know, you kind of talked about like different kinds of big bets. And so I think that's an important nuance here where you might have teams that own like a given channel or surface or experience, and, and they're trying to improve outcomes for people, right? Kind of optimize those towards the, the North Stars uh, for the business or for the customer. And, and so they might iterate kind of like more in the optimization role where, they too might have bigger swings, uh, but it's kind of more in the lines of like either supporting more iteration or kind of evolving that surface based on what they've learned. And kind of like there's some different time horizons, but they're kind of all within that area of expertise. And then what I've seen in the teams that that I've been a part of that have kind of big bet teams is that they're focused on a very specific hypothesis that is kind of beyond the scope of one of the existing kind of like teams that's focused on like the core drivers of the business. So this might be like opening up a new market segment, exploring a new interaction paradigm. You know, Facebook has a team called um, New Product Experimentation, uh, NPE. And those are big bet teams that are building new apps and new experiences uh, constantly. And they kind of work like a studio to develop those. And, and, and that model gets kind of, you kind of see that model in many places. So I think there can be bigger bets that you take within a growth team, which are really about say, like doubling down on what's working and, and kind of expanding and, and, you know, putting more and more resources behind an area that's really working. Or you can say, Hey, this, this idea, this concept is really important for the business on the long term, but it's kind of orthogonal to the direction and the goals of these of the existing growth teams. And so, you know, context switching is one of the hardest things to do as a business person in any role. And so you kind of like split that out into its own little studio. You fund it with like a small scrappy team to go validate that idea and kind of move that ball forward uh, to kind of whatever outcome that you have. Uh, and then, yeah, I think in terms of how we thought about big bets, yeah, we kind of we do have kind of a, a structure to it at, at Facebook that I'm happy to kind of like dig into as well. Yeah, we'd love to, to hear maybe some of that of, of how it was approached there. Yeah, I think the, the, the biggest takeaway with any big bet, like your goal as a product leader, as a growth marketing leader, as a marketing acquisition leader, whatever, is you want to, you want to invalidate big ideas as soon as possible right? Like the most expensive resources you have are your engineering resources, your product development resources, uh, your time, right? And so the most impactful thing you can do 
when you're evaluating a big bet is understand what information you need to kill a hypothesis at the earliest stage possible. And so you can do a lot of that before you ever get into like creating pixels or pushing code. And so at Facebook, really what we did is first, we were very clear on what a big bet was trying to accomplish, right? We kind of laid out some criteria for the types of things that we would want to invest in that you would say is a big bet. You know, it takes a year to bring this thing uh, to a prototype or whatever. And so we would say, cool, we want this big bet to be able to contribute at least 100 million daily active users. Or we want it to, we want a use case that is at least a, you know, three times a week use case. Or, and so coming up with at the top, at the very top of like, okay, this is what success would look like by the time this thing gets out into market would allow, you know, kind of allows you to kill a bunch of ideas very early because you can hold up a bar and say, okay, for this idea, if it works as best as possible, is it, does it hit the success criteria that we've laid out already? And if the answer is no, like it's kind of a non-starter, it saves you a bunch of time. The next thing you want to do is for the ideas that kind of pass that bar conceptually is you want to create a framework for where you can uh, increasingly build confidence in that idea along the way to building out a, a prototype. So you can start with opportunity sizing, like how big is the opportunity if we get it right? You can start with qualitative research or you know data that you have from your existing users and systems. So you can kind of, you know, total addressable market, qualitative research. Is this a pain point? Is this something that people have or people have a desire for? And at each step of the way, we basically had four main checkpoints for developing a big bet uh, at Facebook that would kind of ask these very pointed questions of like, hey, does would people be disappointed if we didn't build this? Would people, you know, would people use this multiple times a day? Is this, you know, an order of magnitude better than existing solutions out in the market? If you compare it to the most common other app out there or use case out there, would people choose the one we're designing over the one that already exists? And at each stage, you can kind of create a go, no-go decision, which allows you to essentially really pressure test your ideas around big bets um, before you even get into the coding space. And so de-risking as much as possible the long-term investment uh, at the earliest stage possible was like a core philosophy of how we did it at uh, Facebook. Awesome. Thanks for walking through all that. Okay. One other question I have here is I would love to hear from any of you if there was a scenario where you just saw the balance, the portfolio balance, just getting all out of whack. Maybe it was on a specific team and all they were doing was incremental stuff or across all your teams, everybody's only doing moonshots. Like, how do you approach that? How do you get things back into a good balance? Is it, you know, reminding every, like maybe you could talk through an example. Did you sit everybody down and remind them the importance of, uh, of balance? Did you go talk to all the individual PMs? Like what is the move to get things back on track and no longer like tipping in one way or another that is unhealthy. 
I think one thing we do is we we have weekly、um, growth meeting, and in the meeting, I think there are two key metrics PM talk about. One is their KPI, what has been the progress, is that trending up by how much. The other one is、uh, ideally like the velocity, how many experiments they have launched. So between these two metrics, I think it's a it's a. Uh, you you can get an idea and sense in terms of are they moving their metrics、uh, aggressively enough and what is the velocity? If they are moving their、um, metrics significantly, that's great, right? I think that's kind of、uh, meaning whatever they are doing is is working. If they are not moving their metrics aggressively. And the experiment velocity seems to be fine. I think that's an indicator. Sometimes the the maybe the experiments are too small and too incremental. I think when I notice this, usually I will have a conversation with the 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 PM and just to understand what are what what has been tested, what are the results, and maybe brainstorm together what are some learnings, what are some bigger things we can test out of this. I think the risk of not having those bigger bets and only focus on small wins, other than like the maybe slow progress in KPIs,、uh, is sometimes the team members could lose interest, and、uh, the engineers or designers may feel like we are just keep keep doing those small things, and the team can be perceived as a like the small experiment team. So we don't want that. On the other hand, if the team is only doing bigger bets or doing too many bigger bets, not、uh, enough small wins, small like big bets barely work on the first try, and the the results could be they spend six months on on one particular thing and it didn't work on the first try, and because they change too many things at the same time, they don't even know like is there any part that. Possibly working, but other part doesn't working.、Um, so, like that, I, I think those are maybe some indicators I watch for, and I will usually have begin to have conversations with the PM to to try to understand what is happening there. Yeah, one thing that、um, I can recall is I've had the scenario where the team was doing too many big things and actually didn't have enough, you know. Resources to make that happen, so the tempo of the team was really impacted. The thing that I think has helped、uh, with the EIR process that we're doing in GitHub is that we have the expectation that every week you're going to come back with new experiments to propose. It's not that's not like every week you need to, but there's this thing that's always reminds you that on you know Wednesday afternoon. There's an hour where you'll be expected to potentially come with new ideas, and I think it's a personally, and I think for the team, it's a it's a motivational thing. It's like, oh, sweet, like next Wednesday, I've got this opportunity to to pitch some new ideas. So that helps with the tempo of the team having this weekly review of new experiments. And then this quarter, I'm going to be experimenting with both a quantity and a quality、uh, results as part of a, a key an objective that we have, which is. We have an objective, which is build a top-tier growth team、uh, for FY22, and one of the one of the results as part of that objective is on the OKRs is、uh, launching a number of experiments per month as a quantity, and then、uh, achieve a, a specific number percentage of insights rates for experiments. I don't know if it's going to be 
uh, if it's going to work out. I'm just actually curious from Morgan, uh, Hila, and Matt what, what you think. But I wanted to experiment with a quantity uh, to go with the velocity point that Hila mentioned. And then also talk about to make sure we balance with the quality because it's not just about running shitty experiments. It's also about you know, achieving a certain number of insights as part of these experiments. So EIR to help with the tempo and then uh, aligning with the OKRs, as Ila said, with both a quantity and a quality result. All right. Thank you all. This has been great. Morgan, Hila, Thibaut, any, any things that you feel like you haven't, we haven't covered in this conversation yet that you want to make sure that you throw out there? Yeah, I think one, one thing that's kind of interesting to me is how you can actually get to a big bet based on what you're currently doing. And one of the neat experiences that I had many years ago at, at this point, and Hila, Hila and I both ended up working on the same product at growthhackers.com. Hila worked there after, after I did. But the story of that community is kind of an interesting example of like a big bet um, and, and kind of how we got to it, because it was incubated out of a company called Qualaroo, which was a uh, SaaS tool for user insights on websites. So basically collecting qualitative feedback from website visitors to help you understand the why behind the what of your web analytics. And when I was working with Sean at Qualaroo, Sean Ellis, um, who I also wrote my book with, he, we were really trying to figure out how to grow Qualaroo and the number of people using uh, the free survey tool. And we tried a whole bunch of stuff that you would expect out of a traditional SaaS playbook. Uh, SEO, lots of content marketing, lots of webinars, um, and none of it really was kind of getting the traction that we were looking for. And one of the things we saw was that a lot of free trials came through the Qualaroo free unit itself. So kind of the powered by link, you'll see this on a lot of tools. You'll see it on Shopify stores, kind of says like powered by Shopify. On Qualaroo on the unit, it had a powered by Qualaroo link. And a good chunk of trials were kind of coming through that channel. And when we looked at the work that we were doing, we hadn't really invested much in that trial channel. So we're like, hey, let's test the copy on the powered by link and change it to a few things and so we ran a couple dozen tests with a bunch of different copy variants and i think the one that ended up winning was like are you using qualaroo question right and 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 with a simple copy change we're able to like really change the volume of traffic coming through that free unit um, and so that grew leads and trial starts and so we're like, cool, there's something here in this channel. So then the next thing we did is like, let's improve the conversion rate of this channel, right? So that we work on the landing pages and that type of thing. And then we started to analyze the traffic that was coming from the Powered by Link. And we realized that when the unit was sitting on pages that were most likely visited by other marketers, it was more qualified traffic, obviously, than sitting on like a gaming site or a news site. And so the volume of those referral or the quality of those referrals and the conversion rate of those referrals was much higher. So we kind of said, okay, how do we get this free unit onto more sites where marketers visit? And so we went out, we built a whole partners program where we like gave you the Qualaroo for free. And we went to marketing websites like, you know, conversionxl.com and Moz and all these other places said, hey, we'll give you Qualaroo for free because we knew that that would drive more qualified traffic. We did that for a bit and we realized that was really slow 
and spotty and people weren't really motivated to put the thing on their site if they didn't have an immediate pain point. And so we said, hey, could we create a destination of marketers where we could use Qualaru and showcase it to them to drive referrals? And that's how we came up with the idea for growthhackers.com to, to launch a community and see if we could aggregate a community of marketers, which we could then kind of showcase the product. And then growthhackers.com itself became kind of its own product and, and a much bigger, you know, its own company ultimately and that type of thing. But that notion of like identifying something that works in your growth engine and then doubling down and doubling down and doubling down and doubling down again can get you to a really interesting place as a growth team when it comes to these big bets. And I think there's lots of like similar analogies at, at Facebook as well. So just a, an interesting kind of mental model, perhaps like it's not big bets at the exclusion at the exclusion of doubling down, but it's like they can work together uh, in a lot of instances. Yeah, and uh, thank you, Morgan, for sharing that story. I always know growthhackers.com is kind of started as a side project, and it's super cool to hear that story from you. Uh, and I, I want to add to that. I think the other day uh, I have someone approach me from link, on LinkedIn, and she's a recent graduate. She really wants to work on growth when uh, and asked me how uh, she can start to work on growth. And I asked her, before you really kind of getting the journey to figure out how to work on growth, you probably should figure out, do you really want to work on growth? Are there other things, maybe it's data, maybe it's product or something else that's a better fit or, or can be a much better opportunity and trajectory for you? I think it's very similar when you work on growing a product or growing a channel. Before you commit, you want to explore. And if you go to commit directly without, without explore, you, you potentially are missing out a lot of big opportunities and you may commit too early. So just want to add that there as well. Fantastic. All right. It doesn't look like we have any questions here. Thank you both for, for closing thoughts. I think we'll go ahead and call it a wrap. Thank you all for your time. I really appreciate it. Cool. Morgan, you're going to Thanks, say everyone. something? No, no, I was just going to say thank you. Thanks for having us, Matt. As always, Matt, uh, thanks for having us and thanks to everyone for joining and, uh, and uh, being with us. Absolutely. Really appreciate your time. All right. That is a wrap of that conversation. Thank you all again for listening. I know there's so many things you can do with your time and effort and energy, things you can watch, things you can listen to, things you can do, but you spent it here listening to this podcast and I always Super appreciate that. If you've got any feedback, any topics, any possible speakers, whatever it might be, my email is matt at drift.com. Thanks again for listening. Hit that subscribe button if you like this episode and check out the other ones and leave a review if you enjoyed it. Thanks. Thanks.